Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us! This is... Are these books drunk? Oh, funny! Little Mariana. Hand there. <laughs> I had my little, my shoulders were going up. Yeah, she was working it. I'm bravissima. I'm Taco Bella. And I'm Jennifer Love Boobitch. <laughs> Oh, God, I love it so much. (laughs) I'm proud of us for remembering to do that. (laughs) It was amazing. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. Or drag queens. Or drag queens. Exactly. This month, we're reading an extraordinarily gripping novel, The Vanishing Half, by the incredibly brilliant Britt Bennett. Wow. I mean, wow. These characters, these stories, I'm loving every twist, turn, and nuance in this book. Yep. Chicas, I'm so glad we finally decided to read and discuss this one. Yeah. As far as last week, what a fun time we had. (laughs) There were certainly (laughs) no storm clouds looming over us. Nowhere. (laughs) Maybe just a couple of raindrops touched some of our faces. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, we all agree that our lives have led us down the path of where we're exactly supposed to be. Maybe with a few more aging lines, but that's okay. Mm. Yeah, that's okay. There are no regrets (laughs) here. Yeah. Though I may regret saying this, what intoxicating concoction are we savoring this happy day? We get so giddy as soon as the sun comes out. It's like I feel. Oh my god! Are I you feel like kidding? we're like you. We're like vibing. I was practically dancing down the sidewalk, walking back this morning. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty spectacular. All right. Well, Mariana. Truth be told, you may regret asking because Ooh. today's drink goes down so easily. You simply must have another. Today's cocktail pairing is called The Simple Truth. Oh, Oh. no. Inspired by all the truth-telling and also lie-covering business going down in these chapters, our bartender thought we should be laying it all out by drinking this truth concoction. Here to share the (laughs) recipe for this cocktail is our simply lovely bartender, Ricardo. (laughs) Ricardo. Ricardo, come on down. Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hello. Hi. How are you? Amazing. Great. The sun is shining. Finally. Spring is in the air. Finally spring. Exactly. As promised, I'm changing the mood of the cocktail. The other time with whipped cream, chocolate, and like very wintry. Uh, cocktail today perfect for spring and summer perfect for this weather that's why I'm feeling so good (laughs) Good. this cocktail is called the simple truth and uh, it's a cocktail that needs to be served up so let's go down in the recipe and let's talk about a little bit of uh, preparation for this cocktail we need two ounces of uh, white rum three quarters of an ounce of pineapple juice, half of an ounce of grapefruit juice, half of an ounce of honey syrup, and a third of an ounce of Campari, and three sage leaves. 
Wow. So for the Campari, for the, sorry, for the honey syrup, we need uh, to do our usually heavy honey syrup. So three parts honey and one part uh, uh, water. Okay. And for the leaf, for the sage leaves, because we're gonna put all the ingredients in the shaker and we're gonna shake and strain over ice, I recommend it to don't do my mistake and double strain the cocktail oh. because the ice is gonna destroy the mm. uh, leaves and you're gonna yeah. be having like small residual. Uh-huh. In the glass. Like a mojito. Yes. <laughs> so if you don't want to have the mojito effect with sage in this cocktail, yeah. I highly recommend to double strain it and to garnish it with a slice of grapefruit or if you have like a dry grapefruit or with, the, with the sage leaves. And uh, it's a beautiful cocktail to be served. I use, I personally, uh, I personally use that Nicanora glass because I love the shape of this uh, glass but if you, you can use even like a martini glass or a, or a double mm. coupe it, it's enough it's not a very long drink so uh-huh. it can fit in a lot of different cute glasses yeah and I think sage usually you burn sage to ward off like bad energy Correct. right bad so maybe, right. It'll, yes. maybe it'll help our characters ward off some lies yeah and stuff. Mm-hmm. she needs to yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. So enjoy the simple I truth and alla vostra salute ragazze. Grazie Riccardo. Ciao. Bye. Bye. All right women. Cheers. Salut. Yes, grapefruit. Yes. <laughs> yes, grapefruit and Campari. I love that combo. Oh yeah. It's mm. the Campari is really delicious in this drink. It's perfect for today. Are you getting touches of sage? No, because I didn't use it. No, you saw Ricardo. <laughs> okay, that's week two. I'm not the biggest fan of sage. I'm not either. I have to say. Yeah. It might have lessened my like of this cocktail, and then I wouldn't be telling the simple truth. I would be lying <laughs> by saying that I liked it. Well, then I should tell you the simple truth that I'm drinking mine with mezcal. Oh, oh you bitch! Ah! I was Ricardo know that. Yeah, I just really don't like rum. Really? I don't like rum either. Sorry, I, I had to be it. truthful with you. <laughs> I oh, wasn't going to. My God, but since it's called the, the simple truth, <laughs> going down in this episode. So I'm the only one actually drinking the drink? <laughs> Yeah, I guess you are. You're you're the most honest of us all. <laughs> That's pretty can't, usual. Can't argue with that. <laughs> so this week, ashamed by her own behavior when she rips Kennedy away from playing with the new neighbor's daughter, mm. Stella bakes a lopsided cake and finally befriends the very gracious Loretta Walker. Going behind her husband's back, she begins spending most afternoons with Loretta, bringing Kennedy along to play as well. But when she's called out by the other neighbors at their annual Christmas party, she cuts off all ties, and the walkers eventually have to leave their home because of the increasingly dangerous racist acts perpetrated by their other neighbors. 
We finally hear the story of Stella's slow induction into the white world, her early romance with Blake, and the decision to leave Desiree behind. Ugh. In present day, Jude finds the girl from the party with the violet eyes. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! It's Kennedy! It's Kennedy! <laughs> we In knew it! In an effort to find out all she can, she gets a job at the theater where Kennedy is acting in a play and befriends her. Eventually, seeing Stella in the audience and confronting her with the truth, Stella wants nothing to do with Jude. But when Jude also tells Kennedy the truth, questions Stella doesn't want to answer begin to swirl all around her. Woo! Ain't that the simple truth? (laughs) (laughs) Cheers to that! that. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Yeah... Hmm. Mm. I feel like we're at the part of the book where last week we were left with so much anticipation of what what happened at that party. She just dropped the wine bottle. Who did she see? Is is Kennedy who we think she is? Um, and I feel like this week was the first week where we started to get answers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're really starting to get to the crux of the story, which felt so good. Yeah. Well, and Jude is starting to get answers too. It's like everyone is starting to get answers. Maybe not the answers she wants. But not she's the answers she wants. <laughs> yeah. And maybe more questions, uh, too, Yeah, into the, you know, into the equation. And since we always talk about the end first, I'm really curious as to how Kennedy is going to feel when she finds out what the truth, the simple truth really is. That it's really, really the is. truth. Yeah. I mean, I have the sense that Kennedy knows. I feel like she's very cautiously, she's being very careful with how she approaches her mother with this. And I think she's giving her a lot of grace by not demanding answers. But I think Kennedy deep down knows that this is the truth. You think? You really, you think so? I'm totally on board with what you're saying about her not maybe trusting that her mom isn't giving her all the answers because i mean she flat out said that you know she she, right at the very end does very much so question like why she doesn't give her any backstory but i have a hard time imagining that she really believes that she could be related to jude i don't know i i I don't know yeah and i don't think she would have been as friendly to jude as she was if If she she knew if she knew no, definitely not. I think it's one of those things. I don't know if you guys have ever had a situation where y- you have something that kind of shakes everything you thought you knew mm-hmm. revealed to you. <laughs> but I think there's a sense of like knowing that it's the truth. But until the people involved actually say it, until they confirm and say those words, yeah. there's like a, there's a sliver of hope that maybe it's not true Mm. or there's a suspension of disbelief that, well, if they haven't owned it, maybe there's all these other things it could be that's not that. But I think deep down, there's no reason Jude would say this to her. Yeah. Although she did say something very hateful and disgusting to Jude to get her to say this. About the your men. Yeah. Comment. Well, and about Reese. It sounds like she's talking about Reese. Reese. Like, you're lucky to have him. Right. Nobody else would love you. Nobody else would love you. And your men don't typically love women like you. Women of your color. Right. Well, while we're talking about that, that was a big question mark for me, too. 
in a in a two part fold is how did Stel- how did Kennedy when she was young and she called the Walker's daughter that terrible yeah, that, the, word yeah. mm-hmm. where did she learn that because I I don't think her mom uses that language and I don't even think Blank Blake, Blake does but then also what happened from then until now because she doesn't seem. She, I think that she actually like really finds a friend in Jude, and um, mm-hmm. and so like Just did something like change? Stella in her? really does find a friend in, in Loretta. Loretta. Yeah, yeah. I I think Kennedy must have heard that from the other neighbors or yeah, the, the neighbors' other kids. Girls. Mm. I think that's where that stemmed from because I do agree with you, Emma, that I don't think either uh, Stella or Blake would have ever said that in front of Kennedy. A part of me questions that, though, because Stella slaps her and then doesn't tell her why. Exactly. And then Kennedy's why. like, why? What did I do? And Stella's like, I, I don't know. I'm so sorry. I know. That was so, so upsetting. If yeah. you're not correcting your child when they say something like that, then the only thing I can imagine is that you condone it and possibly have said the same things or the same things have been said in your house. Mm. You know, like, why would you not say you said something horrible? That's why I slapped you. I I, I actually don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have no retort to that. But the whole topic of the walkers moving into the neighborhood made me mm. think about on the reverse of that, how uncomfortable I was when I moved into my current neighborhood, because mm. I at the time I was one of the few white people living in this neighborhood so my neighborhood is really really diverse Mm. now but four years ago it was rare to see a white person walking around Mm -hmm. and I remember feeling really uncomfortable with that because I realized that I was like part of the gentrification of my neighborhood Um. and that a lot of these buildings these apartment buildings that have families that have been living there for 40 plus years are slowly moving out because their buildings Getting are being bought out. and turned into luxury right. buildings. Yeah. Right. And there's something very unnerving about, mm-hmm. uncomfortable about that for me being part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just thought that was interesting because on the reverse, you know, I can also, s- I feel, I feel how they feel about me. In regards to that, like I'm the problem and I am and it sucks. Um, I don't know. Have you like neither of you, I don't think I've ever like lived in a neighborhood in that situation where like you're gentrifying the area. But it's like a very, I don't know, real conversation. It, It is. Well, I didn't, but my husband kind of did because when we once... We both graduated school. We moved to Washington Heights in the Heights. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was like with a lot of Dominicans. You're comfortable. With Latinas. Latinas. Yeah. yeah, I was perfectly comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, because they saw me with Andrew and because I'm such light skinned, they didn't, they, other Latinos within the neighborhood would never think that I was also Latina. Mm-hmm. So they would also always talk in front of me in English or they would talk about me in Spanish. Not huh. Assuming you didn't speak. So that was an interesting oh, wow. dynamic. And then... I, we were yeah. there for almost 10 years. So, of course, that that changed quite quickly. But initially, mm. I did feel a little bit of that, even though I wasn't really doing anything. I wasn't gentrifying anything because I was really part of the community. Mm. Mm-hmm. Before we kind of move past this whole relationship, friendship, Loretta and 
Stella, mm. I did have a question for both of you. Oh. I mean, I did have a feeling that ultimately something awful would happen once they started that yeah. relationship. One of them would definitely come out of it hurt while the other one would mm-hmm. remain unscathed. Stella suffered, as Britt puts it, a lonely past, a lonely present until now. Somehow Loretta Walker had become the only person she could talk to. Yeah. Now, have you ladies ever befriended someone for the sheer fact that they had what you always wanted? In a way, we're living the life you never thought you missed out on or simply you became friends out of guilt. And what was that outcome of that relationship friendship if you did experience something like that? I mean, I can only think of one friendship off the top of my head that I entered into and maintained out of guilt. And all I can say is truly like never again Mm -hmm. it's just it's not worth it and it's not fair to it's not fair to the other person right because they're investing their time and energy into a friendship that if you're not being genuine and honest in then you're just really wasting their time Mm -hmm. just because you want to save yourself the discomfort of being honest and saying that you're not into this so you think you're being kind by not hurting their feelings but it's actually a really cruel thing Mm. and I would never want somebody to do that to me to like pretend to be my friend just because they feel obligated to or you know they don't want to hurt my feelings um so I mean I will never do that again but I have to say I don't I don't think the situation I'm describing is what is going on between Stella and Loretta I Mm -hmm. think they genuinely have a connection Mm Stella is just not brave enough to own that connection Mm unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) I sadly have kept several friendships out of guilt and have ghosted my way out of them, which is Mm. awful because that felt easier than just telling them that I didn't want to be their friend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, like you said, it's terrible and I, I don't ever want to do that again. And I, because I know I would feel terrible if I knew someone did that to me. Right. right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's pretty gross. So I'm not proud of that. But I also tried to be friends with a lot of girls, not out of guilt, but because they had the life that I wanted or like they were like the cool mm. girls. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've told you before when I was in fourth grade, like the, yeah. the hip girls in fifth grade. Oh, yeah. The mean girls. Like I really stayed in that <laughs> because I wanted to be part of them. And then yeah. there was this girl, Laura, that we actually became pretty good friends. But I think initially I wanted to stay around her because she like she <laughs> Uh, she was able to watch PG-13 movies and she went to like Waterworks <laughs> USA all the time and she just had so much stuff. And I just like mm-hmm. liked being in her house with like all of her stuff and <laughs> got to like go on the trips with her and her parents. Um, uh. But even when I went on my birthright trip in Israel, mm. at first I did – I was quickly able to identify the girls that were like the cool girls, quote unquote, the cool girls that had already formed a clique like on day one that I could tell everyone else wanted to be around, specifically that the guys wanted to be around. Mm-hmm. And I tried to like make myself work in that group. And this is at age 26. And it was just so dumb because I quickly was like, I'm completely pretending. I don't belong there. Like, mm-hmm. they don't want me there. Like, I'm way too nerdy for this. And thank God, because then I, I was able to let that go and then find my people. 
Aww. that I was going to spend 10 full days with. Yeah, so. and then yeah. you have a much better time, too, because you're with the people you're supposed to be right. with. Yeah, and you're being yeah. real. You're not having this pressure, putting this pressure not upon yourself. Pretense. Yeah. But I, yeah. But I think everything. Yeah. And on a trip like that, thank God. Right. Too. <laughs> I know. Like you want to be with your people. But isn't that wild like that. that at like 26 years old, we can still do that? Like that, to me, when I oh, hear God. that, I would imagine that being like my 16 year old self, not my 26 year old self. Girl, I've got stories like that up into my early 30s. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's it's just a struggle. Mm. And, I'm, and I'm wondering if that comes from, or at least I think for me, it comes from a place of wanting to belong and wanting to be a part of something. Yeah. And if I yeah. don't believe in what they're believing at the time or not acting the way they're acting, then I'm going to feel left out or I'm not like good enough to be a part of it. Right. Mm. When really a- you're great. You right. just need to find your group. Yeah, where you can actually be comfortable. Right, and where you can flourish instead of hiding who you are. Yeah. Well, Emma's face. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, do you have an answer to your... I really don't. I really wanted to, like, (laughs) to both of you. (laughs) I, I think I just overall found the relationship very intriguing, but I found it in a way that... Stella was asking Loretta all these questions that I think she was always very curious about. Like, what would it have felt like to have gone to college? What would it have felt yeah. like to be married to someone and not have to lie about, you know, her mm-hmm. past? What would it have felt like to have a family? The smile that she mentioned when she said that she saw those oh, yeah. women smiling and she had never seen, you know, a smile like she that. She seen such- a smile like that. Yeah. So, so all those things, it's just, it was very curious that she was able to, I thought it was also kind of courageous of her to put herself in that position and continue on because she just wanted to feel what that felt like, at least for the time being. Interesting. I kind of felt the opposite about her befriending Loretta. And I thought it was really interesting, the relationship that Blake sort of has with Reginald, too, that's very briefly mentioned. It seems like because he's on television, Reginald has a touch more acceptance than it seemed like he might have had if he were just a black man moving into the neighborhood. Hmm. And there's that moment when Blake shouts Reginald's from his TV show, his signature line at him from across the street. But then this line really got me. It says Blake loved it. Like they were in on a joke together. He couldn't see how patiently Reg Walker tolerated him. And to me, these chapters, it just kind of seemed almost deplorable of both Blake and Stella that they can be kind to their new neighbors, but still not stand up for them. Mm. Oh, yeah. To the rest of the neighborhood. They still don't treat them as equals, truly. They still don't let them get too close. They weren't invited to the party. But Stella was doing it for a different reason, though, I feel like, than Blake. But I did feel like at least the other neighbors have, albeit the disgusting courage, but still the courage to wear their racism on their sleeve. Mm. I felt like Blake and Stella hide their racism behind these fake smiles and these fake shouts of, you know, camaraderie across the street or going over to her house to have a glass of wine when really you're not her friend because you're not standing up for her. But do you think that Stella is being racist? I don't know how to put this because it's hard for me to see Stella as racist against her own people i think it's more it's coming from a place again what we were talking about last week that it is coming from a place of fear 
a fear of like being traumatized as a kid and wanting the freedom that a white person could have. And she could have that because she can pass while others can't. Yeah, but I think it's also like it's racist to not stand up for sure for that whole race. Like, yes, I do think it's coming from a place of fear, but I but I still think that that's racist. Well, I was just going to say on top of that last week, you you had asked how much Stella actually believes the things she's saying about black people. Right. And like Mariana just said, we had both kind of thought that it's coming from a place of fear of being found out. But after reading this week's pages, I actually kind of thought, I think you're right. It does seem to me like Stella's actually taking on this idea of a white woman. The pretense has worked a little too well, and I think she's crossed over. She's doing more than just passing at this point. Kennedy calls Cindy, Loretta's daughter, the N-word. And like we said, Stella slaps her. But when Kennedy asks why, what, yeah. what has she done wrong, Stella has no answer. Then she goes around telling the other women in the neighborhood that Reg made her uncomfortable mm. when he helped her carry her groceries inside the house. And it really seems like it's this rift between Loretta and Stella that kicks off the really dangerous escalating crimes against the walkers. The flaming dog poop that ends up on their doorstep, the bricks through the window, one of which leaves Cindy with the glass in her leg. And the biggest piece of this puzzle, I feel like, is when she's faced with the opportunity to connect with her niece. I know. And reconnect with her sister. Not only does she reject it, doesn't she also speculate that jude must be after money or something that's pretty fucked up yeah that moment was so shocking to me because i was expecting Mm -hmm. her reaction to be surprised but also like intrigued or a tear in her eye or maybe some relief something yeah like oh my sister is okay right you're my twin sister's child something And then I think also it's really telling that when Jude, after encountering Stella, she asks Desiree, her mom, she she asks, you know, if she ever thinks about her twin sister. And Desiree responds that she doesn't even think Stella is here anymore. She says, I would feel her, which also hints at the fact that any vestige of the Stella, the real Stella that Desiree knew is gone. Like, I don't think that I think that's why Desiree can't feel her. She's Mm -hmm. not there. I think until something terrible happens and it's going to force her. Like I said last week, I just think. I hope so. I don't think the book can end without Stella acknowledging. But she could acknowledge it by going back home. And I feel like she could still deny. There's something that seems very comfortable for her about regarding her family as dead like she says that they're dead and gone Mm. because she's made herself believe it Mm -hmm. what mariana (laughs) (laughs) no i i totally see where you guys are going and i i definitely there are points that i do agree with that i can really see like all the points that you made brandy really reaffirm that racist side of her completely i i get that but there's still i think there's still a contemplation there there's still like There's moments throughout these last chapters that she says that she made the choice 
that it was mm-hmm. more of the practical choice to be able to move forward, that it was a choice that she made, that it was something that once she met Blake in New Orleans, she didn't think twice about it. Which right. before I remember in the first episode when we were talking about this, like I think Emma was the one that brought up like, how could she do this? How, how could mm-hmm. she just leave her sister? And I was like, no, she like she's methodical about everything. She really thought this through, which apparently she really didn't whatsoever. Yeah. But she kind of followed her heart to just go with this man and see what the possibilities or the opportunities would be bypassing. That's I'm trying so to make funny. sense of all of this. That's so funny yeah. that you say she followed her heart because I thought in the beginning she followed her brain by deciding that if she posed as white, she would be okay. Whereas now in wanting to go to school, she's following her heart. Because I think everything was so calculated before that she didn't pay attention to how that would make her feel emotionally. And now I think she's like really, she's wanting to explore the parts that she didn't get to when she gave up that part of her life. But she does say, she does herself question at some point, wasn't it the emotional side of her that had made the decision to follow Blake? It seems Uh. like she was... I don't know that I can say she was in love with him. She did seem enamored of him a little bit, but more so it seemed like she was enamored of the way people treated her. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. life that she was able to have. Mm -hmm. Right, when she was in his presence. And I do wonder, she's, she's clearly good at math. It's clearly something she's interested in. But a part of me does wonder, is this her following her heart? Or is this her more logical side finally kicking in, saying, if I can earn a living of my own... Maybe I don't need to be married to this white man. Maybe I don't need to pretend that I'm white. Maybe right. I can finally be who I am Oh, if I can earn so? a real living on my own. You think that yeah. she she's not so far gone now that she could, like, live as a man, black woman again? I don't think I she's that far gone so. I don't think I she's that far so. gone yet. Oh, God. I, I hope wow. that in seeing Loretta live. You know, it's the same thing that you were just talking about, Mariana, when she's admiring these women's smiles and how comfortable they are together you know, when she's over at Loretta's house and she admires that Loretta went to college, the very college actually that she had she wanted, wanted to, to go, go to. to. I think there is a part of her that really wishes she could have had all of the things she has now, but, but earned as them herself. for real for herself. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, she did clean up that broken glass for Loretta, for Loretta without thinking about it. Remember when that vase broke right. and she right. bent down and she got and she was like, no, baby, you'll cut yourself. Right, that right, right. moment was like, oh. Yeah, a part of me felt like in that moment, like, was she talking to Desiree? Like, was, you know what I mean? Like, for a moment, was she almost with her twin like again protective. for a second? Yeah. yeah, like with a sister soul or something. This may or may not be related, but I wanted to bring this in at some point. <laughs> and we can continue on with this. This is a very exciting conversation. Um, the Vanishing Half, the title of this book. Right. Mm, I I think that's what we're reading. This is what we're reading. (laughs) I actually I don't know if you guys think the same thing. But for me, Stella's vanishing half is Desiree and what Desiree has represented for her. Mm. So for me, what Stella did of getting rid of her past and that's because they, they constantly say that they they're they're sisters, but each of them carry a side of each other. Mm-hmm. Like we're a whole being, but we don't, because we don't have a twin, we don't have that other side that's being carried right. by someone half, else. Yeah. yeah. And so 
I think what she really did is she vanished that she got rid of her past to move forward and never wanted to look back again. Stella. Yeah. But it was Stella. Mm-hmm. But this was purposeful. Yes, it was following her heart initially, but I do agree with Brandy. There was a point in time where now she's like really thinking with her brain and questioning everything that she has done, but doesn't really know how to get back there. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. I just, I still, there's still a point. I still have hope for Stella. I still I do, do have hope. Well, because having hope for Stella, I feel like, is also having hope for Desiree, that she gets her sister back and that Maman gets her daughter back and that Kennedy finds out the truth of who she is. You know what I mean? I think that it all just ends in a happy ending. I don't. Yeah. And I don't think it can. But I feel like having hope that Stella finds her way back is having hope for all of them. You Mm. know what I mean? And what is also really crazy is that I don't know if you got guys also thought of this, how Jude is very similar to Stella mm-hmm. personality wise. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the way that's that. And Kennedy. They hi- and Kennedy is Desiree. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Well, the other thing I thought about is that is in the first chunk of chapters we read we learned that Desiree is the one that always liked pretending Desiree was the one that liked acting and liked pretending to be Stella Stella never liked pretending right yet now here she is in the biggest acting job of her life yeah I mean something that I thought was really interesting that I wanted to pose to the two of you is that for Stella it seems like acting this this role you know being Stella gives her the freedom to pursue the life she wants, unencumbered by racism. And she says it gives her something all her own, separate even from Desiree. And Kennedy, too, weirdly, her daughter, has an affinity for acting and even says that it quells the nightmares she used to have at night. And weirdly, she can't even say what those nightmares were. She just knows she had nightmares. And when she started acting, they stopped. Mm. I thought this was really interesting because obviously the three of us are all actors. (laughs) And so I wanted to ask the two of you, this is, I feel like this is such a simple, it's a deceptively simple question, Oh boy! but very complicated. Why do you act? And like Stella, do you find that there's a more practical reason and a more personal reason for why you do what you do? Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Extremely simple. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, I think my reasoning behind becoming an actor has changed throughout the years. Mm. Like, if you would have asked me this 10 years ago, it would have been a very different story. But I think it all boils down to something that I've always, like, used, I guess, as kind of like my mantra. Like, something that I've always thought about myself is that I'm a performer at heart. Mm -hmm. Like, that's who I am mm-hmm. you know for me there's no greater feeling than being on stage or in front of a camera mm. like there there isn't one I think that's where I I thrive I think that's where I could live pretty much every single day that there's this state of ecstasy mm. that I can reach when I'm performing like the endorphins are released I'm on cloud nine mm. I'm high though it's not the same feeling when I'm working on my craft because that tends to be more work and mm. I mm. label it as work because I put so much pressure on myself and I'm more overly critical of myself when I'm working on it as opposed to when I'm actually living it. Mm-hmm. 
I think for me, it's a definitely, it's very much a personal thing. It's definitely not practical because it's not the most practical ambition by far. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like it, at the, the next day is always unknown. Yeah. You yeah. know, you, you, you're happy with what you have at the moment and the, the, the gig or the booking that you get. But the next day you have no idea where you will be. Or where your but next I, paycheck will come from. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think that's that's also what excites me about it because you just you don't ever know. It's hard to plan for the future, but it's kind of the choice that you make mm-hmm. to be right. able to, to live a life like that. And I honestly I can't see myself doing anything other than that. Like I, I know that I've questioned it many times as to why I'm doing it, but I don't see myself being able to do anything else or continuing to pursue this for the rest of my life. Hmm. Uh, this is going to sound so obnoxious. <laughs> I love that you're judging your answer. I you know. Give it to us. <laughs> well, I mean, to be really honest, like I act because I have to. Like it's mm-hmm. just a part of me now. I think always has been, but now it's like a part of me would always be missing if I didn't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hate the business so often and yeah. it's emotionally yeah. testing. Yeah. You know, like you said, Mariana, there it's not practical, but it's a part of me. Like it's just mm-hmm. in my fucking blood. Yeah. But aside from that woo-woo answer, I really love it because I'm fascinated with humans and human behavior and psyche. So I love getting the chance to pick apart a character based on their psyche and analyze why they behave the way they do in relation to how they interact with others and what's Mm -hmm. going on deep down inside of them. And I love playing strong, tough women because that's the side of me that's hardest for me to bring out in my own life. Mm -hmm. So I like getting to feel what that's like on someone else and then try to imbue those qualities as Emma. Oh, that's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is just like a weird, quirky fact, but I find it really interesting that for as long as I can remember, I don't know that I've ever told you this because it's really weird, but I play this weird, we'll call it a game in my head, (laughs) where I match letters together in pairs. Have I ever told you this? No. No. Because it sounds like pretty like OCD. When I hear people speak or when I speak or when I read something... I match letters in pairs so that they're coupled. And if, you know, a, a word has five letters, then I'll take the last letter and I'll attach it to the first letter of the next word so that they're always coupled. But when I act, I never do this. That's bizarre, Emma. I know. That's why I rarely tell anyone because it's really crazy. fucking weird. So if you are reading a sentence that said, that's bizarre... In your mind, so I know right away that it's not that it that it works because it would be T H A T S B I Z A R R E. So I can see how many letters are in the word, and I know that it'll match or it won't match. Wait, but you're doing this like as you're reading the book that we're reading. You're reading along. No, and not your mind is doing this. Not in books necessarily but like a sign or like a pamphlet (laughs) that is so crazy wow Or when i hear people speak 
Yeah, it's weird. But, you know, on stage or on uh, in a scene, I never do it. <laughs> huh. It's weird. That is weird. So that's why I act. <laughs> <laughs> to quell the to, OCD. To calm the crazy. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's interesting. I've never heard anyone say that before. I know. That's a tendency they have. I got a couple of them. If you're ever curious, ask me about. I think I get it. My dad, I don't think he does this, but my dad can can say anything backwards. So he can like sing a song completely backwards. It's just like a weird mental like without studying it, like without Yeah, no, like you could say an entire sentence and he'll say it back, he'll repeat it backwards. It's the trippiest, weirdest. So I don't know. Maybe I get this weird gene from my dad. <laughs> I can't do that though. That's That's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it's cuckoo. Huh. So anyway, what about you, Brandy? <laughs> Wow, that's wow. well. Nothing is interesting <laughs> as to what you just said. Um, I think for me, the I I think I do break it up into the practical and the personal. For me, the practical reason that I'm an actor is I don't think there's any I don't think there's any better way for people to relate to other people than to experience a story. Mm. There's no better way for us to experience compassion for each other's plights than to experience those plights as if they're our own for right. two hours. Like or what, try you know, on it someone is. else's skin. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But not even as the actor, even as the viewer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think just watching somebody else's experience up close for two hours gives you an insight into what that life might be like that then makes you lend some compassion Mm. to somebody who you might not have prior to seeing that. Yeah. I think the more selfish reason that I'm an actor is when I think about the idea of having like a job job where I go to the same office every day and do the same thing every day. I I start to have anxiety even (laughs) thinking about that. Yeah. Because, like, for us, like, even if we were on a TV show and we were playing the same character day after day, that character is in new situations all the time. That character is interacting with new characters all the time. Mm. Even on the acting side of it, there's new challenges constantly. There's still new auditions coming in. Exactly. And I think I love that aspect of it, too, that, like, on any day at any given moment, my entire day could shift because I get an email from my agent and suddenly I've got, you know, a 10 page three scene thing. And right. by the way, it's due tomorrow at noon. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. go. And that could make yeah. or break your career. Or maybe right. not break. And your whole but... life could be different. Yeah. After oh, that yeah. Completely. Job. Yeah. Like, I just, you know, that's just, I don't know that there's anything more exciting or yeah. fun or like mm. thrilling. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we do a cool thing as much as we hate it and gripe about it. We do. We're so grateful to get to to get to do it. We're like this, like a vessel for these stories. A vessel. That's the word I've always used. I think that's such a such an awesome way to look at it. Is that we can be a vessel for stories and for Mm -hmm. voices, voices that voices. Yes. And social issues and change, yeah. Yeah, which I think that's also a reason why I love doing what we're doing here because we're giving our voices to, like, bringing these characters to life in a way through our conversations and talking about those that 
might not have a voice otherwise. Mm. Like, I think it, it just, it, it's very, it goes hand in hand with, with our profession, I think. Yeah. But wait, ladies. <laughs> we have a throwback Thursday question. Last week, we were chatting about Emma's new decluttering mission as one of our lovely followers, Evika, mentioned on her comment. She wants to know, Emma, how is it going with that mission? Are you still getting rid of stuff? Ah. Are you still pushing through? What day are we on, Emma? (laughs) Well, Evika, thank you so much for asking. I feel very seen and supported in my mission, and it's much appreciated. Yes, Brandy, we are still continuing. I have not abandoned ship as badly as I have wanted to. Good for you. Today is day 26. (gasps) I am embarrassed to say that I have not yet had to part with anything major because I just have so much shit that I'm still in like the little phases. Yeah, I'm still in, uh, you know. Pieces of paper or um, yesterday I threw – I actually threw out two chapsticks, ladies. I threw out oh, two chapsticks. Whoa! I never thought I would hear you say that. Well, I – who knows how long I've had them, but they didn't smell good anymore. So oh, I think it's God. time to say goodbye. You know, some like expired Tylenol. So it, just to be clear, you threw out 25 things yesterday. Yes, and today you will throw out 26 things. 26. Yes. So I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I'm taking photos every day of the things I'm getting rid of oh. so I can make a collage. It also like helps me hold myself accountable. Right. So I'm taking photos every day of, of the pile. And then, you know, it either goes in the trash or it goes in recycling. And then I have a bag of things that I will donate and then two bags, three bags of things that I'll donate. And then another bag that's just trash the tricky thing is like electronics you know like i have a rechargeable battery like i don't want to throw it away Mm. but like where does that go so yeah right a lot of stuff is sadly still in my apartment but it will be going away (laughs) (laughs) so at the 30-day mark are you gonna stop will you continue like what is i was planning on stopping but i think that i still am gonna have things to get rid of so i think i might keep going Wow. Until I just feel like it's gone. Well, Emma, we're going to continue following you on this mission because I'm very curious. We're going to follow up. Evika Mm -hmm. needs to know. Thank Mm -hmm. you for caring about my stuff. I really appreciate (laughs) it. Well, Evika, if you do it, please let me know how it goes. I would love to hear how I would love to hear how you're dealing with it because uh, it's pretty daunting. I'm not going to lie, but I will support you in your mission if you choose to accept. We all will. (laughs) Yes. As we support Emma. Thanks, gals. Less is now. I want to talk about something that is not related to any of this, but it's um, a point I want to bring up at some point. So what better time than now? Okay. So when I read the bit about Blake's doll, Jimbo, oh yeah, remember the black doll, Mm -hmm. and he thought that the cotton inside would have been brown, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. totally jogged my memory. 
how my first American Girl doll, did either of you have American Girl dolls? I did have one, yes. My first American Girl doll was Addie. And I didn't have any other friends who had her because they all had Molly or Samantha or Felicity. (laughs) What? Did you have, you had Samantha, didn't you? I know Molly. Oh, you had Molly. (laughs) (laughs) So I was remembering how my first, my Addie was the only black American girl doll at the time. So Addie came out seven years after the original three. And her story was that she was a nine-year-old girl born into slavery. So for each American girl doll, there was a book that came with them so that you could learn the history of where these girls came from. And I was just remembering this as I read that section in the book. And I was like, God, that's like pretty messed up. I don't remember how old I was when I got her, but I feel like that's a young age to start learning about that or to. It seems insensitive to have that be the first black. Well, yes. Also this. So then I started going on like a whole rabbit hole about Addie and I started looking it up and I started doing research on this because I was like, God, this is so messed up. I never thought about this before. And I found an article that was written by Britt Bennett about Addie. (gasps) No shit. I could not believe it in the Paris Review. So this is what Britt Bennett, I I pulled a couple sections from the article that I'll read because I just, I couldn't believe it was her talking about this. Crazy. So she says... For 17 years, Addie was the only black historical doll. She was the only non-white doll until 1998. If you were a white girl who wanted a historical doll who looked like you, you could imagine yourself in Samantha's Victorian home or with Kirsten weathering life on the prairie. If you were a black girl, you could only picture yourself as a runaway slave. And then she said, perhaps playing with dolls like Addie and reading books about her life provides children with the language to confront that terrible, menacing weight of racism. Perhaps it is better to have language, even when language hurts. And it, again, jogged my memory to, I think, what was the beginning of a terrible, terrible relationship that I built in my brain about Black people being poor and treated terribly because then it also led me on this rabbit hole of remembering do you guys remember the movie the little princess the spoiled girl named sarah who was a princess and then her parents died in india so she was sent to an orphanage and there was like a little black girl that lived in the attic that was forced to like Mm. like live in poverty up there and they treated her terribly like Mm. these are the first two references that i can Mm. think of of black girls and yeah. it, I, I just have never thought about how traumatizing that is, you know, even in To Kill a Mockingbird, which was my favorite book and my favorite movie, you know, the the character of Tom, how he's portrayed and, and what they do to him and and that terrible story. It just like I think it started this this terrible relationship of me like feeling sad and and having compassion because they were treated so terribly or they were poor or I don't know I just I'm just really sad that I'm now like realizing all of this from remembering my relationship as a child to these characters because that was the only way that was the only relationship that we were given with them Mm -hmm. the only connection and so I just thought that was important and a little scary to plug but um you know I think it's taken like 
some work on my end as I've gotten older to realize that that's not the narrative. You know, like right. that is not that is not an accurate depiction. <laughs> and I think that's why I was just realizing how fucked up that was to have a, your first black American girl doll be a runaway slave. Right. Like what narrative is that but telling for little black girls? Yeah. yeah. I know this was like a big this was a big conversation to just bring up like this that isn't really tied necessarily, but. But it is because I think, Britt Bennett wrote that article, right. which is amazing. Isn't that crazy? I also think those are the kinds of conversations that like need to be yeah. happening. You know what I mean? Those are the conversations that are healthy to be having. Right. Well, I wanted to say before we completely move on from Loretta, I thought it was really interesting that there was a lot of mention made about how Stella sort of seems to have an inferiority complex about Loretta. When Stella Mm. goes over to apologize, she's embarrassed that she's wearing this plain blue dress (laughs) when Loretta's dressed in a shimmery green dress. Her cake is lopsided. Loretta has, as we said, this college education from the college that Stella had wanted to attend. It's, It's implied that Loretta's daughter is pretty smart and take school kind of seriously, whereas we know Kennedy really doesn't. And I wondered, this is a moment where I wondered if on some level Stella's ashamed that she's passing, ashamed that a woman like Loretta lives the life she does, essentially, at least in terms of money, it's the same life that Stella lives. But you know, she doesn't it seems have like to maybe, lie. Yeah, and yeah. she gets exactly. to live in her own skin. She's exactly. earned it as herself. She even makes a point of saying they both there's not much difference between them two because they both married into wealth. So, mm. I mean, of course, there's a lot of differences, but she right. says herself they they both married into wealth. So why why is there all this shame coming out? But there is. But there is. There is because she knows deep down inside that she's lied her way through to get there and she can't get right. out of this lie. Right. She well, now she has to. her daughter in his, in this lie like. The lie has only grown larger. Yeah. Do you ladies think that Loretta suspected the truth about Stella ever? There was a part of me that there was an inclination. Mm. I thought that something was going to happen to the extent of Loretta, like, thinking that that could be the case. But it never, that never happened. Right. I really hope those two find their way back to each other at some point because I do feel like it was a really genuine friendship. And I feel like Loretta has given Stella this incredible gift Mm -hmm. in encouraging her to go back to school and Mm -hmm. continue her education. And I just really hope that Stella gets the chance to make that relationship right and mend that friendship at some point down the line. Well, since you brought up her going to school, I have a question for you about Related to that. Yes, please. Because that section when she does decide to go back and is confronted with her husband being shocked that she wasn't going to flower arranging school and not understanding why she needs to go to school again made me so sad. And I know times were different then, but we still have a huge stigma about men being smarter and wiser Mm -hmm. than women and don't even get me started on the gender wage gap. Yeah. Peg, Stella's advisor, says to her, a woman with a brain, nothing scares them more. 
I have my mm. own battles with how I view myself in comparison to the opposite gender, especially when it comes to the subject of power in knowledge. Do either of you have a complex about this as well? Can you recall any times that you dumbed yourself down or didn't speak up for fear of sounding smart or in the know? And it doesn't have to apply to just men versus women, but in general. That is a great question. <laughs> um, that is a great question, but I'm actually going to answer it a little differently. Okay. Because I actually, I don't think I've ever had a complex of having to dumb myself down, let's say for the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have played more the naive, the gentler, girly girl, like when I was dating, just mm -hmm. to be like a little bit more feminine mm -hmm. or just more likable. But I was usually vocal or a little bit more vocal than I guess I am now for as far as my accolades or my accomplishments. And the thing is, for me, I have a complex, a complex of not being smart enough or good mm, enough. Yeah. So if I were to dumb myself down, that would be counterproductive hmm. because I'm actually like wanting to come across that I am smart enough to be a part of the conversation mm -hmm. or that I am outspoken enough or I actually am good enough to have an opinion. Mm. Yeah. And th that's the problem. My insecurities usually get the best of me. But I do think that with the now side jobs that complement my acting profession, it's kind of pushed me to even have to, for my intellect and my power to kind of precede me. Because if they don't, then I'm not necessarily taking as seriously because mm. it's all it's all about a communication and all about standing your ground mm. when I'm a standardized patient and when I'm an interpreter. Um, and I guess for that kind of pressure, I'm grateful. Interestingly, yeah. too, though, in both of those jobs, you're sort of doing them to help other people. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you yeah. don't speak up. It's not to your detriment. It's to theirs. To theirs. <laughs> Good yeah. point. Yeah. And, you, and so you do. So you do rise to that challenge. I have Because it's to. not for you. It's for them. That's an interesting point. And I don't think, huh. yeah. And I think maybe that's the reason why I, I do love doing that. Because mm -hmm. it's not about me at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you can remove yourself from the equation, weirdly, you weirdly, become the that's person when I'm you like, are. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That's interesting. You should, look, very you should look at huh? that. <laughs> <laughs> you should look at that. <laughs> Gonna make a note. <laughs> um, yeah, Emma, I totally agree with you. It's been heartbreaking to watch women have to take on the bulk of what Blake calls like familial obligation. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's especially true. during this pandemic. And I hate that moms have to make the choice to return home at a time like this, especially when that choice probably comes because dad makes more money than mom. And then we're right. back to the wage gap again. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just this whole super fucked up cycle yeah. that sort of works to keep women in a certain place. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question... I think when I was younger, I sort of assumed that everybody knew more than I did or knew better than I did. So mm -hmm. I would kind of dumb myself down as if to say like, oh, you must know better than I do. Like, mm -hmm. tell me what you think, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And I would hear that like just like just now I would hear that reflected in my voice. It would jump up an octave mm-hmm. to seem more appeasing or seem more pleasing or accommodating mm-hmm. or something. But it's funny because I would often find that not only did other people not necessarily know better or know more than I did, but I would find, and often with men, that even when they're wrong, they would have this supreme confidence <laughs> that true. they were right. They, yeah. you know, they would have such a confidence in what they were saying. And I would always think, well, I definitely don't want to be like that, wrong and completely confident that I'm right. That's completely asinine. <laughs> But I I feel like I've been working really hard over the last few years to undo all of that. Mm. And I've been working really hard, especially to own my voice and where it naturally sits Mm. in my body. It's not up here where I sometimes try to make it sit. It's down here. Like, this is my voice. Yeah, that's where you're grounded. Yeah, exactly. This is where it's at. And it sounds more authoritative even to oh, me, yeah. so it's a little scary. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think also as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot more comfortable speaking my mind without feeling like that means I'm talking down to anybody or mm. lecturing anybody. It's just taking up space. It's taking <laughs> up my space. And there have been times, too, where I'll almost like shut up about a subject, but instead I find the courage to speak up and it leads to a really interesting conversation or it leads to somebody actually changing their point of view about something. And I wonder how many times Mm. women shut up when actually if they spoke up, it would shift the course of a conversation or shift the course of someone's thinking. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it that way, I feel like it's actually a huge responsibility for women to speak up and be heard. Absolutely. There, there was a really beautiful quote floating around on Instagram yesterday for Women's uh. International Women's Day, which was, each time a woman stands up for herself, without knowing it possibly, without claiming it, she stands up for all women. Mm-hmm. And I think likewise, every time we shut up, every time we stay small, We do it at the detriment of all women. That also ties in with what we were just saying about you, Mariana, you know, where you're comfortable speaking up if it's for others, Mm. but not for yourself. And we have to get comfortable with the fact that when we speak up, we're helping other women. You know, we're not just speaking to hear our own voices. Absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, I love that. I hope I can take that with me because the most interesting thing that I've witnessed in myself most recently is in my teacher training for mm-hmm. yoga. You know, mm-hmm. it's really weird because we're doing it via Zoom. And so we're all muted all the time. And when we have a question, we either have to raise our hand or put it in the chat. Like, it's not like in person mm-hmm. where you can just speak, speak up. Speak up. You have to like make yourself seen, make yourself known like, hey, I'm here. I have a question. Yeah. And I have tons of of questions. And I've realized (laughs) that I really am holding myself back from asking all the questions I want to because I'm so aware of the fact that I'm, I keep asking more questions than most everyone else in my, in my training. And so I'm very careful now as to like, is this important enough for me to ask? And it's awful. And I'm really censoring myself because I don't want to be like that annoying student And on the flip side of that, I've also realized that I'm really nervous in raising my hand when I know the answer. And just the other day, our teacher was like, who 
they asked us a question and there was like a long pause of silence and I knew the answer, but I wasn't mm. raising my hand or coming forward with it. Who fucking knows why? And I knew the Do answer. Do you really not know why? I, I would really have to like dissect that, but um, it's like there's like a nervousness in, in being right and in knowing things. Mm. Like I probably it's that I don't want people to think that I'm like, She's the smarty pants or like she thinks that she knows mm. everything. And I know that that's so a complex in my own brain and I don't know where that comes that from. I guess I'd have to think about a specific instance. But that also ties in with why you, you don't want to keep asking questions. You don't want to be the one who keeps on speaking even when you know the answer and no one else is speaking. Yeah, even when I know it or if I don't. And so finally, because no one was saying anything, I unmuted myself and I said the answer. And then she said, and do you know why? And I knew why. And I answered with a question mark. I inflated oh. it at the end as if I wasn't really sure, but I was Kelly sure. Kelly Kimball would have killed you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so mad at myself. I knew it. I heard it right away. I was like, Emma, mm. just say the answer. Like, this is what it is. Yeah. So that's fascinating. I have a lot of work to do there. Mm-hmm. And also... I realized in writing emails, the amount of times that I say sorry or I write, I'm just writing yep. to say, instead of saying I'm writing, it's just, writing. I'm just, I'm just, just checking yeah, in. The yeah. amount of exclamation marks that I use. Yeah. Same. Um, Same. It's just like, why? Because <laughs> like, I'm afraid that if I just say what I want to say, I'll come off as demanding or, uh, pushy or bossy but that's that's what exactly what we were saying last week about this preconceived notion or the stigma that we have for women that if we Mm -hmm. act a certain way then we're considered bitchy totally if we if we project ourselves a certain way then we're looked upon like what's wrong with you yeah but i am i i am proud of myself that i have found um, a way to break out of the cycle when I was young, I used to play dumb to get people to laugh, like all the time, to the point where my friends would like respond with, oh, Emma, you're so pretty. You know, it's like, you're so dumb, but like, you're so pretty. I got that all the time. And it used to make me laugh. And now I'm like, no, fuck that. Like, we're yes. not doing that anymore. So that took a long time to break. But I just, I see it come up so often that it's yeah, just it's wild. You. Yeah, it's super in yeah. me. Yeah, I feel you. We haven't talked about Jude. <laughs> We're talking about Jude or Kennedy at all. <laughs> we have to plug, before we get into the whole conversation about Kennedy and this musical called a Midnight, The Midnight Mar- Marauders. Yeah. Is that how you would say that? Yeah. Midnight Marauders is the name of a tribe called Quest album. (laughs) Oh. It's not a real musical. And I just love that. I love that Britt Bennett chose that as the name for the musical. Hilarious. (laughs) Just a fun little fact. Fun fact. Now we can segue into Jude and Kennedy. One thing that I sort of had a question about with Jude, um, you know, it seems like she's going to be applying to med schools and potentially moving away to go to med school. And it seems like she and Reese haven't really talked about what that means, but it seems like there's some tension 
around the idea that she could be moving away as if like he might not be going with her or something. Did you guys pick up on that at all? Yeah, Brandy, I did pick up on that. There's somewhere in one of these chapters where Jude basically says that she is similar to Stella, as I said before, because I do think there's Mm. a lot of similarities there, Mm -hmm. that she said... I'm just like her. I could be like her that every time I move to a new place, I become someone else. So I think that when she's here in this moment with Reese, she's become this person that Reese needs at the time. Mm. But once she gets into med school, she's going to move on from that. And she even said that right now, Desiree doesn't even recognize her daughter anymore. Because when they talk, they just seem so foreign to one another. So there's something about so in some ways, even she's playing a role right now, even if she didn't always realize it or do it consciously. mm, Yeah. So I think that there's a little bit of compassion that she's feeling for Stella right now because she's trying to like kind of feel her out and and analyze the reasons as to why Stella didn't want to know anything about them. Mm -hmm. I think she's giving her the benefit of the doubt because she's also analyzing herself because she's still at such a young place of trying to find who she is, really. You know why else that's really interesting? Mm. There's the moment at the end of these chapters when Kennedy pulls Jude up on stage with her. Jude is really hesitant to do it and doesn't want to, and it feels really foreign to her. And I wondered, what is behind this moment? Like, what is this about? But if what you're saying is true, which does sound like where we might be headed, in a weird way, it's almost like her induction into Hmm. this habit or this life of pretending to be someone, Mm -hmm. even if it's not really who she is. Yeah. So vulnerable. Yeah. But that breaks my heart for Reese. I know. Blake in Vegas at the craps table, I think it was him. He said, I'd rather lose than know I would have won if mm-hmm. I hadn't played it safe. Oh, I think it was the guy he's playing with who says that. But then he agrees oh, okay, with okay. it. He's but like, he yeah, 100%. Yeah. And yeah, I, think, yeah. I think that's also being echoed in Jude. You know, I think she's realizing that it's better to not play it safe. Huh. Uh, like she's willing to risk it all, you know, like like gambling, like it, it is a gamble what she's about to do. But she would rather not play it safe and lose than know that if she had never asked, like this whole yeah. life couldn't have been a possibility. Yeah. And she's and she tends to psych herself out. She really wants med school, but she's like, oh, but nobody's going to accept me. Like she really wanted Reese. But no, he doesn't desire me. Mm. But I think that in instinctually or like her guttural like way of being is that she really wants these things. And Uh she's really hoping that these things will happen. Yeah. I wonder if on some level, too, she desires the kind of life that Stella has. It's a very, Mm -hmm. as far as she's seen, at least, it's a very glamorous life. She clearly has nice things and has done well for herself and And confidence, a lot of confidence. Yeah, I wonder. And she's passing for white. And we know Jude has always had such a terrible relationship with her skin color and the way she's treated as a result Mm -hmm. of it. So I do wonder if on some level she's going to try to emulate what Stella has done. And I think through seeing what Kennedy 
is and who she is. Like she, there was even a moment that she said, yeah, if I had grown up in Brentwood and I, if I had the Camaro and if I had, she like even her pictured herself being like, what would it have been if I was Stella's mm. daughter? Yeah. Knowing that they're cousins. Right. But like Jude is never going to be able to pass for a white person. Do you know what I mean? So like it would have no. to be, I think, in her behavior. You know, it's so funny because I also thought about in reading these um my ex's one of his best friends used to dress up in like really nice clothes, like business suits, like beautiful, like long camel jackets and and like blazers. And he would go into stores and he would steal because what? he was like, no one would suspect me stealing because I'm dressed so nicely that no one would accuse me. And I think it's it's the same mentality, right? It's like if you can wow. play this person, like if you believe that you look a certain way, people will treat you accordingly as such. And, right. Because um, it's all about people's perception. To- exactly. If people perceive you a certain way, then you start believing it yourself. You're like, all right. Right. That's what they think. Yeah. And Kennedy did say acting is different you only show people what you want to Which so wants. i bet that's mm-hmm. that's another little egg, like little seed planted in jude's head mm-hmm. yeah 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 totally. i think for jude it's le- it's less about passing as a white person cuz like you said Emma, she's not yeah, going to be able happen. to yeah that could never happen yeah right but right. i do think there is something to this idea that she can live in these little momentary lives she creates for herself and then discard those once she achieves something that then gets her to the next place and then she builds a little life there and then discards that one when it's no longer, you know what I mean? I can see her using Stella's mentality in that way where she gets what she wants by discarding what's not useful mm-hmm. anymore. Vanishing that part of herself. Yeah. Wow. No, I was going to add one quick thing, but it doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I wanted to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been do- I've been sprinkling those all throughout here. <laughs> So do you guys remember that little story that Stella was saying how she had this piglet named Rosalie? Oh, oh yeah. And how her mother so cooked sad. The piglet? My mom has a very similar story and when I read this I was like, <gasps> "Oh no. She had a baby chick that was like her no. best friend when she was little. This little chick would like follow her around and then obviously became a chicken and they she loved this chicken. Every time she came from school, loved it. Until one Sunday, my grandmother decided to cook it as part of their Sunday supper Oh, in their ajiaco, which was a soup. Did she tell your mom that? Oh, yeah. Wait, did your mom you eat the it? soup? No, of course not. Oh she was my devastated. God, that's and my awful. grandmother knew that she loved this chick. I wish I, re- I, I need to ask my it mom. Was it was a pet. It was a pet. It was a pet. And my grandmother fully knew that this, I was, how, how awful is that? When I read that, I was like, holy shit. That does happen. That's about as traumatic a thing <laughs> as I feel like I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> it's really sad. And I'm making a light of it, but it's really sad. Now you need to ask us a final question to lighten the mood to like, bring us out of this. <laughs> We're going right into that. All right. Okay. So speaking of Kennedy, because we were a little while ago, um, if you guys were to channel Kennedy, what musical would you see yourself starring in right now? <laughs> Which would be a reflection of you somehow? 
that would bring you much I'm gonna get sad again now that would bring you much heartache and a feeling of loss once it closed Jesus Mariana this is supposed to be fun <laughs> it's a quick final question it's fun uh, Andy <laughs> there's no, no need for explanation just go I'm not super into musicals, so (laughs) what comes to mind for me is The Witch in Into the Woods. Wow, I like that you chose a character. Okay. Yeah. What a great one. I mean, at first, I think of the musical Groundhog Day. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. But I didn't connect to that emotionally in any way. I, if there were a musical version of Our Town, oh. that right now would like really get me. Yeah. I yeah. feel like right now just being in anything would get me. Like, I know. I know. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> anything at all. The three of us are available. Let me have it. <laughs> oh, man. What about you, Mariana? <laughs> um, singing in the Rain. Oh, oh, God. I love that movie. Yeah. And I think because it's like... Yeah, it it might be raining some days, but I'm still singing. So no storm clouds allowed. No storm clouds here. <laughs> Not in this booth. Do you know I did a Lena Lamott impression when I was ten, and I won tickets you to Hanson. What? Hanson? Do you remember doing it? <laughs> yeah, it was like I called Q ninety four the radio station. It was a talent contest, and I was like, I can do Lena Lamott. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you have an insight or a question you'd like us to discuss on an episode, shoot us an email at artiesbooksdrunk at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on our listener question segment. Yeah, let's get those listener questions. Come on. Well, some of our listeners have been answering our questions Ooh, on Insta. That's right. And I would love to give a shout out to Avika Debloy and Suzanne Chiavravi, which we already have shouted you out, but you've been so great with us and engaging. Woo! And thank you both for joining us for Happy Hour. We love hearing your insight. Yeah. yeah. Next week, no surprise, we'll be finishing this beautiful novel. Whoa. Stay tuned on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk to find out next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's Always happy 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 hour hour. here (laughs) with Bravissima, Taco Bella, and Jennifer Love (laughs) Ubin. It gets me every time. (laughs) Bye, chicas. Bye, chicas. Bye. Bye.